Father, as we begin to jump into your word here in the book of Acts that we've been living in here as a church body for some months now, Holy Spirit, come. We truly do hunger for more of you and ask that you would be in this place and not just be in this place, but make us more aware of your presence. Father, may we join you in what you're doing and in the amazing stories that we've heard from church members and also that we see in the Bible, in the book of Acts. May they be inspiring and help us to be bold. In your name that we pray, amen. So I'm really excited about uh, the passage that I was tasked to speak on this morning. As you know, we've been in the book of Acts, and what we're going to do this morning is go directly almost verse by verse um, through Acts 16, starting in verse 16. So if you have your Bibles with you, I very much encourage you to open up and follow along with me. If you don't have it with you, that's totally fine. Uh, we're just going to trust that if you're on your phone, you're not texting, and you're, uh, you know, you're looking at your Bible app, perhaps. And then we'll also have the um, scripture on the screen as well. Just a little bit of context, though, for anyone who's not maybe super familiar with the book of Acts, this is a New Testament book that is about the growth and the expansion of the early church. So this is after Jesus has come, died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, and now his followers, the, the 12 disciples, as well as others like Paul, who himself experienced a radical transformation. We're in a sermon series called This Changes Everything, and if there's anyone that better fits uh, that phrase, perhaps it is Paul, where he was persecuting Christians himself. That was his life mission, and God called him, and he completely did a 180, even changed his name from Saul to Paul, and now is living his life in boldness, proclaiming the gospel message. So Paul has taken several missionary journeys in that we see and we follow through the, the book of Acts. And it's wonderful to see these, these churches in very difficult places, by the way. Paul's from Jerusalem, but as we see in chapter 16, he is in the town, the Roman city of Philippi. And just real quick, a little bit in um, chapter 16, we see that Paul with his companion Silas are on this missionary tour. A man named Timothy joins him, as well as most likely the author of this book, who writes about some of this stuff from third, from secondhand, but also um, writes it from firsthand experience. In fact, we, we know that because it starts using the, the word we. You know, we did this, we did this. So Timothy, Paul, Silas, and Luke together and their adventures in Philippi, which is a Roman city, a very important Roman city in this time. We, I think I have a map up here, first or second slide, um, that shows Paul's second missionary journey, where he's at in his journey through um, through Philippi. But we're going to pick up in verse 16, and I'm going to read a chunk, and then we're just going to go back and, and look at it more, more in depth. So Acts 16, verse 16. Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. 
She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Interesting story, right? A few things I want to point out. First, it says they were going to a place of prayer. Normally, this is the synagogue or the place of worship for the Jews, oftentimes outside of the city. So they're just doing their normal thing during the day in a female slave. Now, this, this poor woman, she's oppressed in three different ways. First of all, it's very clear that she is demon-possessed. She is oppressed by a spirit of the evil one that has overtaken her body. Also, it says very directly, she's a slave, so she's oppressed in that way. And finally, we read that she's being exploited by her owners by using this evil spirit to make money for themselves. I'm, I'm sure she didn't get a cut from it. Slave, exploited, and demon-possessed. Talk about someone who needs Jesus more than anyone. And what is crazy to me, that these, this evil spirit within her doing evil when she is in the presence of a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit, also possessed, but by a Holy Spirit, sees that power, and rather than talking down, rather than doing anything else, is so overcome that says, these guys have the power of Jesus Christ and know the way to be saved. That blows me away. And so what does Paul do? He, he turns and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And she is freed from her bondage. Now, let's lead into the next section of verses. In verses 19, it says, when her owners realized that the hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews in throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. I think this is where the term no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> I think this is where that might have started. Because on one hand, you see this, this, this woman that's freed from this demonic spirit is now, is now there. And okay, wonderful. In, end of chapter, everyone goes home happy. But no, we see, and this is, I think, the same thing that we can experience in our life today is that the name of Jesus is seldom popular, but it's always powerful. This city was obviously so comfortable in sin, so comfortable in the ways of the world and the things that they were doing for their own selfish desire that even the freedom of a slave girl from a demonic power is looked on not just as meh, but as something that's bad because it's throwing off their whole way of life. And these two men that were exploiting her now have no way to continue on with their business of fortune telling. The name of Jesus is seldom popular, but it's always powerful. We live in a wonderful city of Lebanon, Indiana, and in the Midwest, where still we find quite a few Christians, and we still find quite a few people that are living in the ways of God. But the reality is, in our culture, a lot of cultural trends are trending more against Christianity, where the name of Jesus 
in the things that we do as followers of Christ are less and less popular. And on one hand, acceptance where anybody can come to Christ and be saved is not anymore seen as what is commonly known as, as tolerance. And I want us to just sit in that for a minute and realize that we have the power of Jesus that even though does not fit in with the trends of the world, has the power to free us. Let's continue on. In verse 22, the crowds joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they have been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet, feet with stocks. Now, in this time, first century A.D., where most of the world was very uncivilized. Actually, a lot of the Roman emperor, the empire had a lot of laws and rules, but there was still a form of mob justice, you know, where there's enough people riled up that even without following the proper channels, these men, Paul and Silas, for this, in my opinion, great deed that they did, were beaten with rods and put in prison. And it just reminds me, I feel like it's a little similar to that same mob justice that was shouting crucify him to Jesus that led to his uh, execution. Now, it's easy to read over this quickly, but to see that these men were beaten with, with rods. I have with me here a, a, a rod. And this verb in this passage called rabdiso, it means to beat or to hit with a long, stiff staff or rod. Most likely wood, sometimes even metal. Commanded by a strong Roman soldier who's trained to inflict as much pain as possible onto their victims. History indicates that some men even died from these types of beatings. So I need a volunteer to come up on the stage. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. After, after this and the trust fall I did months ago, I don't think I'll ever get a volunteer to come up on, on, on stage with me again. But I think it's important for us to just try as best as we can. I've never been beaten with rods, and I hope I never will be. But I, I personally can't imagine what type of pain that must have been like. Certainly, open bleeding wounds, bruises, maybe even broken bones. And it's important for us to get that image in our mind as we unpack and listen to these next verses. So there they are in the inner cell of this prison, guarded by a soldier with their feet in stocks. They ain't going nowhere. In verse 25, read along with me here. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself 
because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Now let's pause here. At midnight, again, picture Paul and Silas, bruised, broken, and bleeding. And what are they doing? They're singing praises to God. And I wish I knew what these hymns were. I wish I knew what the words were that they were singing. I don't know. Was it, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God? Oh, praise his name forever. Was it Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's arms, and through the storm, probably the worst storm that these two guys have ever been through, even through the storm, Lord, he is Lord, Lord of all. I certainly don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to think those that were listening to them probably thought they were nuts. Perhaps they weren't just singing. Perhaps since they've been in there, Paul has been known to preach every, to anyone he was with at any times. Did all these prisoners hear the saving message of Jesus? Did the jailer hear that even though his ears might have been turned off? But it says that these prisoners were listening. And it also just makes me pause and wonder. I wonder if they weren't singing. If they didn't choose to praise the name of the Lord their God in that moment. Would the earthquake have come and would they have been set free? I don't know. Continuing on, the jailer called for the lights, rushed and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now let's pause there again. A few things that I think we can take away from this passage is that in their darkest time, they are praising the Lord. And again, what are these other prisoners thinking? I don't know. But I, I heard a great quote from Aaron Brockett just earlier this week at a conference many of us um, were at, at Trader's Point. And he said, you're supposed to, as Christians, live your life in such a way, preach the gospel in such a way, conduct everything that you are in such a way that those on the outside, those, those looking and observing you in your life, they might not believe what you believe, but boy, they believe that you believe it. And I'm just guessing, I think it's safe to say, many of these prisoners, they may have never even heard of the name of Jesus before. The church is brand new in the city of Philippi. Who knows, they, they might have been there unjustly or justly, have received perhaps beatings themselves. But as listening to these men sing praises to God, I just wonder what they're thinking. And I know that they believe that even if they don't know what these guys believe in, they believe that they believe it. And another thing that I find that's fascinating here Paul and Silas, the only one singing, the only one praising God's there. And when God shows up as an earthquake, which is very common in the Old Testament especially, God is often connected with things like an earthquake. When God shows up, not just a random earthquake, I don't, I don't know how it could be random if all the doors fling open and the socks around their feet come loose. 
it wasn't just Paul and Silas's socks that came loose. It was everybody's. It says all the doors came open. And I want you to know and understand that your praise to God, your preaching through your word and deed and how you live your life, that can lead to the freedom of others who are watching. Your praise to the Father can lead to the opening of prison doors and the salvation of others who are watching. Now, Paul, Silas, all these in prison, they're not the only ones who are experiencing a, um, a, a, a catastrophe in, in their life. The one that we might quickly overlook is the jailer. Now, the jailer, of course, is woken up by the earthquake, sleeping on the job, whoops, but woken by the earthquake, and then he sees that all the doors are open. And I know his mind immediately went to, man, I was tasked to guard these people. Now that they're gone, I'm a dead man. I'm probably going to be beaten worse than all these guys then. He might have even been crucified. I don't, I don't know what the punishment for a Roman soldier that was sleeping on the job that totally blew it. But he knew, and it was so bad, whatever his fate was going to be, it was so bad that immediately he said, it's better if I just stab myself with my sword and get it over with now. So he's experiencing a crisis too. And of course, Paul and Silas, they see this. They see him about to kill himself. And they say, no, 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 stop. Don't, don't hurt yourself. We're actually all still here. They know why he's freaking out because he thinks um, that everyone's gone. And in that moment, again, I don't know what the jailer heard, but he heard those singing. He heard the singing. He perhaps heard the preaching. And in his time of crisis, he said, I don't know what to do with my life, but these two guys seem to have the answer. And he goes over there and he says, with trembling, trembling before them, says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And of course, they reply, says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your whole household. And continuing on in verse 23, it says, Then they spoke the word of, Lord, of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, all in his household were baptized. The jailer brought them to the house and set a meal before him. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He in his whole household. You may have not in your life yet said, God, I believe in you. But I hope and pray that as you read this passage, and, and I hope as you see other people around you who proclaim God and raise their hands and say, I hunger and thirst for more of you. I hope that you see that and think, I want to be saved too. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He died for you so that you can live and you can be free from the bondage of life and live eternity with him. 
And after this service, if you haven't yet done that and you want to commit your life and say, I don't know exactly what all that means, but I want to believe in Jesus. I personally want to talk to you right after the service right down here. And another great thing about this passage is I love, it says the jailer and his whole household turned to the Lord. Now, some of this might be culturally, but I think even still today, when a, the leaders of the household, in particularly something about a man, statistics show that if the man of a household comes to Christ, it will be exponentially more likely that the rest of the family all becomes believers too. Went to a church for a year out in Arizona called Christ Church of the Valley, and they heard this statistic, and they really started to, to make it real and, and, and lean into that. They said, okay, we need, more, we need more men. We have a lot of women coming to our church, and that's great, but we need to get the dads in here. We need to get the men. What do we need to do? And, okay, a few stereotypes, a few assumptions that might not be fair for all men, but they say, hey, men love sports. Let's put TVs everywhere and have sports playing. So they do that on Sunday morning. They have sports playing in the lobby and stuff. So what else do men like? Uh, I don't know. A lot of men like motorcycles. Do you have any motorcycle enthusiasts in the room? All right. Good. Raise them high. Uh, he said, well, let's, let's come and park some motorcycles at the church and, and invite the women that are here at the church to invite their husbands. Say, hey, we've got a bunch of motorcycles here. It'd be, it'd be fun for you to come. And it started to work. They started to have it, the, more men started showing up at the church. They said, well, it's not quite working. And after a few weeks, they say the men are here and they're all talking about the bikes and such, but they're not going inside. And they said, okay, well, let's park the motorcycles in the church. <laughs> so they started to park the motorcycles inside of the church, and it worked. The men moved inside, <laughs> and they started attending the church. And uh, I'm not advocating that we park motorcycles in our lobby, though for the record, I wouldn't be against it. Um, they were serious about the men coming and believing in God because they know that statistic that it's so much more likely that the whole family will come to know Christ. And I want to say just to, I want everybody to listen, but specifically talk to you men out there, even if you're not head of a household yet or have kids of your own. How you conduct your life and what you believe in and the power and the, the, uh, the way in which you believe in God and exemplify that for your family, that could lead to the salvation of your whole household. It was this for the jailer where it says his whole family, his family legacy was radically changed because his decision to declare and be filled with the glory of God that Jesus died for him and this jailer's life was turned around forever. Now, we've all been hearing these wonderful testimonies. It's been my favorite part of this sermon series to hear the stories from you all about how Jesus has changed everything for your life. We have a special guest with us um, today. She's been here for, for TCM, the organization that I work for. And this is a mission partner that this church supports. So even though Esther, and you can come up here now, Esther, um, even though th she is not an active member of this church, she comes from Nairobi, Kenya, and will be heading back home next Friday or this upcoming Friday. I thought it would be great to have another testimony about how Jesus has changed everything in her life and in her family. And you all, in a way, are connected with this story through your support and engagement with your mission partner. That 20% that um, Craig said of all of our money goes to support ministries like Esther and I are involved with. So Esther, can you share just a little bit about your story and about how Jesus has changed everything for you and your family? Good morning, and praise the Lord. 
uh, back in Kenya, we say Buana Sifiwe. I know Tom can answer that. <laughs> Buana Sifiwe, Tom? <laughs> yeah, so you answer Amen. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So Buana Sifiwe, Amen. Uh, my name is Esther. Thank you, Tom, for inviting me here. I'm already blessed by your word and the worship. And so I'm grateful to be here. I'm glad to be here this morning. Um, I come from Kenya, central part of Kenya, and uh, I'm from a family of uh, 20 children, and I'm number 15 in the <laughs> Yeah, um, we had two mothers, um, and we grew up in the village, the rural area. And uh, it wasn't easy for us because of the differences that we had when we were growing up because we are from two different mothers and love, I mean, life in the village isn't an easy life because uh, we are kind of limited. You don't have enough resources. And so my dad bringing us up wasn't easy. My mom was not working. The other half mom was not working as well. And so we did not love each other because they thought, because we are the young family, and so the other family thought that we came to take their place. And they didn't love us. We felt a lot of rejection to a point they could even tell you, uh, why did you, why did you, I, I mean, why are you here? Because you came to eat what belongs to us. And so we felt a lot of rejection. And I we used to feel so bad because I think I was um, created uniquely. Uh, I didn't love or I didn't like that kind of an environment. And so when I came to know who God is, um, though I was born in a Catholic um, background, at least God had helped me to know uh, what love is all about. And instead of me hating them, like fighting back, I used to pray. And God used me. And I started praying. Even if I was, I was from a Catholic background, I started praying using the rosary that we were using, the beads that we were using. Up to the point I joined high school and I started hearing people talk about salvation. And at some point when I was in high school, Form 2, I happened to visit one of my half-sisters. Funny. <laughs> she invited me to go visit her. Uh, that was now in Nairobi, in the city, and uh, I could hear people praise. People were so joyous because of praising the Lord. And uh, I started hearing about salvation. And so I was so much interested to know what is this all about. And then when I went back home, instead of going back to the Catholic Association, because we had two sections, Catholic Association or Christian Union, Christian Union was meant for the people who were born again, and then we had the Catholic Union. So that Saturday, I decided I'm not going to join uh, my group that is Catholic Association. Instead, I found myself going to the Christian Union service at night. That is in high school, because I was in a boarding school. And so that night, they started worshiping the Lord, and I could feel uh, something is happening to me. And before the service was over, I found myself going to the front, and I was prayed for. Funny enough, the girl who bullied me when I was joining Form 1, she's the same girl who prayed for me. So it was so funny. And so after that, I realized that God is teaching me to love and uh, to care about other people. 
And so I gave my life to Christ, and I started, started serving God. And then after high school, I went back to Nairobi to stay now with my half-sister. And uh, life was not as easy as well because there's still that difference. Be because she could hear a lot of things from home, and then sometimes she could overreact. But God gave me grace, sufficient grace. Instead of me fighting back for myself, for my sisters and brothers, I started telling God to fight for us. And God is so faithful. I prayed, I fasted, and God started fighting our battles. Mm. As I stand here today, instead of the two families fighting, we celebrate each other. And that is the power of prayer. It wasn't easy, but let me tell you, um, it takes one person to stand in the gap, to deliver the family, to deliver the community, to deliver the nation. It, it took David, it took Esther, it took Joseph to deliver their clan, their community, their nation. And so, brethren, let's continue serving the Lord. I serve uh, at that time, let me say that, as the regional, regional coordinator in Kenya. Uh, and I think that's why God called me to serve. I'm so passionate to serve the people of God. And even my career is all about serving people. I'm a human resource by profession, and I love serving people. And this is something that God has taught me, to love people, whether they, are, they don't deserve to be loved, and to serve them. So thank you so much for your invitation. Thank you so much for listening to me. May God keep you. May God be with you. God bless you. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor. Wow. I think we can all relate to how God changes everything. And you might not have 19 brothers and sisters, uh, but I am going to guess that every single person in this room has experienced some type of family strain, uh, even with a parent, sibling, or others. And I want to not talk too much more at all, but let Esther's encouragement for us close us out and saying, you standing in the gap, you being bold, your praise and worship, that your other family members or anyone around you, even if you might not see it or realize it, they're seeing how you are living your life. May that be a testimony. May we go out from this place, and as I close in prayer, to be bold for the gospel message even during extremely difficult circumstances. So, Father, we do pray that prayer. May you make us bold and courageous. Lord, even if we don't know of who might be seeing or who might be witnessing, Lord, I know just personally, I've had people that, I've, that have said they are complete atheists. When something goes crazy in their life, they've come to me and said, would you pray for me? Father, would you continue to move and work in power? And we admit and we